You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Father, come before you this morning um, really aware of my own weakness uh, in light of your majesty, your power and your holiness especially. As I prepare to preach your word and as we hear, prepare to hear the preaching of your word, God, I pray that that you would come and that you would speak and that you would open our hearts to hear from you. I pray, Lord God, that you would use me in my weakness and in my inner imperfection to say what you would have said this morning. I pray, God, that you would encourage. I pray, God, that you would challenge. I pray, God, that you would change our hearts. I pray, God, that you would make the gospel clear to us through this message. Help us to exalt Christ above all else. I pray, lastly, God, that you would remove any barriers or hindrances that would seek to plug our ears or blind our eyes from hearing or seeing the truth of your word this morning. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and watch this opening video. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without faults in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace. He has purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Well, he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee 
that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So there isn't much that's guaranteed in this life. There may be one guarantee you have this morning uh, that we will probably run 20 minutes late. (laughs) But there's not much guaranteed in this life. We're not guaranteed health, wealth, or prosperity. This side of heaven, right? In the blink of an eye, our health can fail. In a split second, someone that we dearly love can become deathly ill. There's no guarantee um, that the paycheck that we're receiving right now will be there tomorrow. We're not guaranteed to succeed in marriage. We're not guaranteed to succeed in our vocation or in our education. Every one of us has experienced um, or will experience uh, the pain and the difficulty, the confusion of failing health. Um, Every one of us from the wealthiest person to the poorest person here in the room understands what it's like to face a shortfall of uh, resources. And some of us face that shortage of wealth um, on a more consistent basis um, than others. But the reality at the end of the day is that we all face a lack of a guarantee, right, in, in things this side of heaven. As I continued to think about this, here were some of the things that I thought of, just kind of spreading out from this. Um, we've all tasted the pain and the confusion of failed plans. Um, Even failed plans in marriage or relationships or in our jobs or our life goals. Not guaranteed anything there. In fact, sometimes it seems like we might be guaranteed more pain and suffering in this life than anything else for some. And in some seasons it feels that way, right? It can be easy to get cynical and cold when um, seasons of our lives don't work out the way we expected them to. Uh, when, the, when the wheels fall off the bus, and when things get difficult, what we long for deep down inside is some sort of guarantee that things will get better, that life will somehow turn around uh, someday. When our plans fail, when our dreams get crushed, when we learn that our expectations haven't been met the way we wanted them to be. We dream of new ways to guarantee success in the future. When a loved one dies or when we get seriously sick, we try to find new ways of guaranteeing prolonged health, right? You start thinking more about working out and eating better and getting better rest because you want to get some sense of guarantee that Um, Your life might be prolonged. When we lose our jobs, if you've ever lost a job or ever seen your job tank somehow, um, you begin to look around for job security, right? You want to guarantee that there's some security in your job. Um, If any of you are here and you face the pain of divorce or suffering in marriage, um, then you know what it's like to then maybe get into a relationship with someone later and kind of be timid and slow because you face that pain and that hurt. And so 
you're, you're looking for some guarantee that that relationship may not cause the same pain that you uh, experienced previous to that. Uh, when a storm rolls through, we've watched some of this happen recently. When a storm rolls through, it destroys your home. Uh, we've seen that in the Midwest here with tornadoes. See that on the coasts with the various storms we've watched roll through. Um, when your car breaks down, you ever have a car break down? When your car breaks down, um, what you're hoping for then is that your insurance will provide what it guaranteed to provide, right? We all live in, in a world where guarantee is something that we long for and desire and work hard to get. Like when you hire a contractor to build uh, a dream home, what you ask for is you ask for his signature on the plans for that home so that you have a guarantee that he will be present to do it and that his future labor will produce what he says he's going to produce for you. You want some guarantee there. You put a down payment on a new home or a new automobile. What you're doing when you put that down payment down is you're sealing a deal, right? That, that guarantees that you will obtain that new home or that, that new possession in the near future. You order something online and you go on to Amazon. How many of you do that? But if you go on to Amazon, you order something online, you, you pay the purchase price for it, you enter your address into the delivery guide then, um, comes to deliver it and what you and I do after ordering it is we wait anxiously for that delivery guy to deliver what you ordered and paid for. We wind up counting down the days until it gets there. Anybody ever do that? Right? We live in a, in a world that doesn't offer a whole lot of guarantee. But what we do is we work diligently to try to organize our lives in a way that gives us the strongest sense of guaranteed assurance. We want to have some assurance that things will go the way we want them to. And that deep desire that, that we live in, um, that desire for guaranteed assurance in our lives, and it's really an echo. Think of an echo. It's an echo of what we read in this passage and the truth that we're going to study today. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, he says this, says, in him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. I will say on the front edge, because of the time constraints, I will do the best I can to cut and chop some things. But I will tell you on the front edge right away that there, there's a lot in this text that I would encourage you to go to some good commentaries and, and find some good commentary on this. One, one of the things that I kind of intentionally left out of um, my manuscript that I'm going to go ahead and just note is that there is a, when Paul writes this, um, he, he is writing to two different groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and the first portion of what he says here, um, he, talks, um, he talks about us, meaning me and, and you, um, the Gentile, uh, not the, the Jewish group. When he talks about us, he's talking about those who were first, meaning the Jews. And then when he shifts gears, he says, but you, meaning the Gentiles. And that may not seem really important um, but the reason that it's important is what Paul is striving to do is he's striving to tell the Jewish people <coughs> about their blessings that they have in this guarantee. 
But then he's also adding in the Gentile people and saying, but you Gentiles have the same thing. And so by way of application, as I apply and preach this, I'm just going to apply it to us because I think that that's what Paul is doing here is he's bringing two groups that were previously separated and he's saying in Christ we are one group now and we have the same blessings. And so, um, and so, th- so I just want to get that on the front edge. <clears throat> Here's the simple truth of this passage. The simple truth of this passage is that we are guaranteed. You could say simply that this is part of your DNA if you are a Christian. You are guaranteed. This is something you can look in the mirror and you can say about yourself because of Jesus, I am guaranteed. You are guaranteed that God has signed the plan of your salvation, that he has sealed your redemption with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he will deliver you to the doorstep of God's mansion in heaven. There's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more heartache, no more sin, no more brokenness. You and I simply are guaranteed that God has signed, sealed, and delivered. (coughs) I apologize for my coughing. I was on a bike uh, for about 600 miles this weekend, and uh, I I swallowed more bugs and stuff, and my throat is raw, so please bear with me. Um, Let me bounce through these three different guarantees. Um, Guarantee number one is that God has signed your plan, verses 11 and 12. Here's the deal. Signatures don't always hold the power that we wish they would. (coughs) We sign our marriage licenses, right, signifying that we've taken our vows to our spouses seriously. And then we experience the pain of divorce sometimes because of our spouse's failure to be faithful or our own failure to be faithful. If church members sign um, covenants, just like a marriage covenant, to live with one another in the way that we confront our sin and, and, and live together, and then we leave and we find churches that we think are better than the one we're at. Um, we put signatures on things and signatures don't hold the power that they, that they should or that we would like them to hold. We sign documents for a loan and we make a commitment to make the payments faithfully, right? Uh, until some disaster hits. Or, 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 or we just flat out get negligent and we default on our plan to pay the money back. Um, the bottom line is that we struggle to trust the guarantee, not just of other people's signatures, um, but our own signatures. Because uh, at, at our core, people, we, people, we're broken and we're unfaithful, right? No matter how many stars or check marks on your chart that you or I have of where we see that we've been, un- or we see that we've been faithful, the reality is that we are a broken and unfaithful people and we don't follow through. But the good news from this passage, and and, and before I get to the good news, what we have a tendency to do sometimes is we have a tendency to project that same unfaithfulness onto God. We think that because we are unfaithful, we find it hard to trust God. We don't believe that he'll be faithful. We project our own brokenness onto him, and we recreate him in our image rather than trusting that he has created us in his image and need to be restored by the gospel. And that's part of the good news of this passage. Our our salvation is guaranteed. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in the gospel, your salvation is guaranteed. Why? Because God is faithful. He is totally faithful. The guarantee that he gives you is not like a money-back guarantee. 
He's not like, hey, I'm going to give you this guarantee, but if you screw it up tomorrow, I want my money back. I'm going to take the blood of my son back off of you. That's not the way it works. We like money back guarantees when we buy things, right? We want to be guaranteed. The kind of guarantee that God gives us, though, is not based on our faithfulness. It's based on his faithfulness. That's why Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What Paul is simply saying is that we have the guarantee of God's signature on our plan of salvation. Listen, if our salvation was dependent upon our own signatures, we would be doomed from the get-go. The plans that we make sometimes fall apart. We don't follow through because we struggle with faithfulness, right? <clears throat> but that's the good news of this passage. God is faithful. Our inheritance, which is eternal life with God, that's our inheritance. That inheritance that we look forward to, it's a result not of our work, but of his work. It's a result of the truth that if we have heard the gospel and if we have believed the gospel, then we've heard it and we've believed it simply because God who is faithful made the plan for us to hear it and believe it. Look back at the text. When I talk about Jesus or God, the Father signing this plan, I'm taking that from this word predestined. This is a scary doctrine to preach in some portions of the country in, in our town today. Um, in, um, the, the simple meaning of the word predestined is pre-planned. Um, pre-planned. God is sovereign. He is char in charge and he knows all things. And no matter how you split the dice on this, no matter how you try to chop this up, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, Paul says, having been predestined, we have to wrestle with that word. God pre-planned what? What did God pre-plan? He, he, he pre-planned some things but didn't pre-plan other things. At what point do you start to take God's sovereignty away from him? God pre-planned. I believe according to this passage, he pre-planned our salvation. He planned to rescue us through the shed blood of Jesus. He planned to rescue us through the work of Christ at the cross. And the purpose of that plan was simply to take all of our failures and all of our suffering and work all of that out for the good of his glory. That was his plan. God's will. This passage speaks about God's will. God's will was his decision, right? I want you to think about this just for a second as I drop this one thought in here. When you think about the doctrine of free will, what I'd like to ask is where do you find that in Scripture? The only person in scripture that actually has freedom of the will is God. He's not bound by anything. You and I are bound by something, either by our sin, like Quentin talked about today, either bound by sitting at the table and feasting with demons, or we are actually free because we're in the presence of Christ at his table, right? So the way that we actually get freedom to Decide for good is if God gives that to us. That's a gift from God. And so then in this passage, we see that God's will, his decision, he decided because he's not bound by anything. And he decided before the foundations of the world were even created. And his decision was to draw us who would believe in him and who have believed in him to himself. 
He wanted to give us that guarantee that he did that work. Ask this question too. Like what glory would God actually get from making a plan that depended on our unfaithfulness? And he chose those words carefully. God's plan to redeem us does not depend on our faithfulness. God actually gets the glory from our unfaithful attempts at being faithful to him because of his faithfulness. So when my plans fail, one of the things that I need to remember and believe is that God's plans never fail. When I struggle with sin, I need to remember that God signed the plan of my adoption with his son's blood and nothing can erase the blood of Jesus over me. Nothing can erase the shed blood of Christ on your salvation plan. He signed it. When I experience the hopelessness of suffering in this life and when you face suffering and that hopeless feeling, we both need to remember that God has signed the plan of our redemption. You and I both now have the hope of a new life to come in heaven. You and I no longer need to live in fear of what we may suffer, lose, or gain in this life simply because you and I are guaranteed. We are guaranteed that God has signed our plan of salvation. He has sealed us with a promise and he will deliver us completely one day. There's one phrase that comes out of this message. It's that simple phrase. God has signed our salvation plan. He has sealed us with a promise and he will deliver us completely. Now, guarantee number two is that God has sealed you with a promise. Verse 13. When I was a young boy, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this. But when I was a young boy, my grandma would send me packages of Christmas gifts in the mail. And what she would do is she would tape up those boxes really, really well. She would do this to simply guarantee that the contents of the box would stay safely inside until they were delivered to me. And the top off, my, my grandma was crazy. She ruthlessly used duct tape. Um, my grandma was the kind of lady that she just, she believed that duct tape fixed anything. And she then passed that down to my mom and then who then passed that down to me. And uh, I kid you not, I grew up with, with tennis shoes that had were wrapped in duct tape because we were poor and could not afford to buy shoes, number one. And my mom just learned that this was a good way to preserve those shoes. Gosh, what a great illustration. To preserve those shoes. Think about the way that God preserves your faith. I can tell you this, not with duct tape. It's not with duct tape, right? But here's what it is. My grandma would not only ruthlessly duct tape the snot out of these boxes, but she also put stickers all over those um, seams to seal them. I would know if somebody got into that box when I received those gifts, if somebody had broken the seal. The seal that God places on you and I is his spirit. He is the sticker that guarantees and assures you that you are intact and that your faith has been preserved. That's exactly what God has done. That's why Paul says, in him, which is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you became a believer, you were guaranteed that God would seal you with the promise of, of the presence of his very own spirit. 
So the Christians in Ephesus that Paul is writing to, they would definitely question whether or not they were actually saved. Anybody here ever question, wonder, am I really saved? Even some of the greatest Christians of all time, people, people like John Calvin, people like Martin Luther, went through seasons where they questioned, God, have you actually saved me? People in Ephesus would have asked that question as well. If they didn't ask that question, the people around them would definitely have asked that question about them. Ephesus was known to be a city that was full of perversion and wickedness, much like the community and the cities that we all live in and the lives that we've all lived, full of perversion and wickedness and rebellion, right? These people that Paul is writing to were being saved out of deep hardship and deep sinful bondage, much like many of you in the room today. And it would be easy for them at times to question, God, have you saved me? Can I really be guaranteed? It's what they needed to hear the most. It's what we need to hear the most today from God is that God doesn't break promises. Why? Because he is faithful. He is faithful and his seal ensures that, that you and I one day will come into heaven preserved in one piece, unbroken because of the work of the Spirit in us. If you are a Christian, you will come into the Father's perfect presence unbroken on the day of redemption. In the gift of salvation or, or new life in God, what he has done is he has sealed you with the proof of his promise. And this is the presence of his Holy Spirit. So think about that for a minute. Not only do we ask questions, do I, how do I know if I'm saved? And if somebody says, you'll know that you're saved if the presence of the Spirit is with you, then you must begin to ask, well then, how do I know if the Spirit is actually present in my life? How do I know if that sticker is on me? How do I know that the God who promised to give me his Spirit, how do I know that I've actually received his Spirit? That's the question beneath the question. Paul's answer is that, Paul's answer is that when we hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, if we have believed in him, then we can know that we've been sealed. In other words, you or I, we can rest assured or we can be guaranteed that the spirit of God is present in our life. You can look in the mirror and say, I know that the spirit of God, the seal of salvation is present in my life if you are this, convicted of your sin. Are you convicted of your sin? And listen, conviction is differently than worldly, worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, oh man, I'm sorry I got caught doing that. Oh man, the consequences of that really stink in this life, right? I handled my money bad and now, now I'm broke. And, and I feel sad about that. So that, that, that's called worldly sorrow. Godly conviction leads to repentance where you say, I will no longer handle my money like that because the way that I handled my money dishonored the name of the one who gave his son for me. That's the difference between conviction and worldly sorrow. So if, 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 if you believe you're a Christian, then you must ask, is the spirit of God present in my life? Has he sealed me? And is there proof of that? Is there conviction of sin in my life? 
But when you heard the truth of the gospel, when you hear the truth of the gospel, do you want to turn away from your sin in repentance as you trust or believe in the work of Christ at the cross to remove your sin and change your life? Conviction, belief, and change. Those are the supernatural proofs of the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life. All throughout the Gospels. Break the context out. All good preaching must be rooted in the context of the text that you're reading, but it also must be rooted in the context of the entirety of Scripture. So, all throughout the Scripture, in the Gospels and portions of the Old Testament, God promised to send His Spirit to take up residence in his children. On the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, we see this happen, right? Multiple times, but specifically in the very early portions. And the Spirit of God does come upon many people miraculously throughout the book of Acts, miraculously and in very breathtaking ways. And, and my charismatic or my Pentecostal friends, would, would, uh, they would say that the proof of God's Spirit abiding in a believer's life is partly proven by the gift of speaking in tongues. And I would say, what I think you have done is you have elevated the gift above the giver. You've made the proof of the Spirit's presence in your life the gift, not the actual presence of the giver himself. Make sense? See, when the Spirit of God comes into our life, what is produced is not a great gift. We are endowed with that and given that because we are created in the image of God. That's why we have those gifts. The proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, continuously in our life, continuously filling us, his holiness. That's the proof all throughout Scripture. That's the truth that we see. Think about the early believers in the book of Acts. 3,000 people were saved um, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. They were baptized into the church. They were brand new believers. They believed the gospel. The message they heard preached was a message of the gospel which said you are sinful and you need Jesus to save you and change you. And the proof of the Holy Spirit coming upon them was not the gifts that they executed. It was their changed lives. Conviction over sin, belief in the gospel, trust in Christ, and change. That's the good news of this passage. See, for you and I, we've all experienced the pain and the suffering of broken promises. This is the great thing about God our Father, is that he doesn't break his promises. I know what it's like to grow up in a home where as parents, my parents failed at times. I know what it's like to be a parent now and fail my children or my wife at times, right? We know the pain and the hardship of broken promises. But the truth and the good news of this passage is that God's promises are true and trustworthy. Why? Because he is faithful. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the thing. We cannot bargain our way into the presence of God. We cannot purchase our own redemption. Our redemption is guaranteed because God has sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, empowers our repentance, and causes our transformation. That's the good news of this passage. I need to hear this truth. I need to hear this truth, especially when I'm struggling to overcome a sinful pattern in my life. I need to hear this truth when I play outside the boundaries of the safety of God's laws and commands when someone comes and corrects me. 
I need to hear this truth when I'm struggling with the hard work of obedience to God. I need to, I need to hear this truth when my growth process is slower than I wanted it to be. I need to hear this truth when I am struggling to be faithful. I need to be reminded that God has guaranteed that he has sealed me with the promise of the presence of his spirit and that I am held secure in the love of Christ by the faithfulness of God himself. I am sealed for the day of redemption when my heavenly father receives me into his perfect and loving presence. Not only that, but when the spirit of God convicts me of my sin, he's doing this so that he can help me to trust in Christ as I turn away from my sin in repentance and because of his work, not my work, but because of his work in me, I am becoming a new creation. Can you say that? Is that you today? I'm not who I once was. For many of you, you can share that testimony together, right? It's the Spirit of God that unites us together in that testimony before an, a watching and unbelieving world around us. I'm not who I once was. I will come out the other side of this broken life as an unbroken person into eternal life with God in heaven. It's good news. I'm guaranteed that God has signed my salvation plan. He has sealed me with a promise and he will deliver me completely. So guarantee number three is that God will deliver you completely. We struggle with the effects of sin in this life. Relationships are broken. <coughs> Our loved ones die. We struggle with health issues. But our complete redemption, freedom from the brokenness of this life, freedom from sin, it's guaranteed because God has promised to deliver us into his possession at the doorsteps of his mansion in heaven. This is why Paul says that we can be assured by the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, what God does here is he guarantees that we will be completely redeemed and set free as God's own possession so that we can enjoy the riches of his presence in heaven. And the proof that God has redeemed us is the down payment he made for us. He paid for the plan of our salvation through the blood of Christ. And the seal or the down payment that he put down on us as his possession is his Holy Spirit. The principle is very much like the down payment on a brand new house that secures it as my possession until the day that I walk through the doors as a proud, complete owner of that house. The truth of this is that God will deliver you and I completely one day, and his spirit is the guarantee of that truth. Listen, when pain knocks on your door, when loneliness seems as though it will overcome you, when your health fails, when your job security goes down the drain, when your marriage ends in painful divorce, when your battle with sin seems to overtake you, when your loved ones die or forsake you, you can rest assured in the guarantee that God has signed your salvation plan and he has sealed you with the promise of the Holy Spirit and he will deliver you completely on the day that you run into heaven. If you're struggling to believe what I'm preaching to you today, then watch this video. I hope it helps.
1971, the great Chicago fire virtually ruined Horatio Spafford. It was almost the biggest trial of his life, but not the biggest. Two years later, 1873, he puts his wife and his four daughters on a ship to sail for England, and the ship runs into another ship and sinks very quickly, and all four girls died, and his wife barely escapes. He hears about the accident and he receives a telegram from his wife, saved, alone. He gets on a ship and heads to be with his grieving wife and as he passes over the part of the ocean where the girls went down and were at the bottom, he wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, or sorrows like sea billows roll. And you can hear the point, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So the question is, how could it be well? And he goes on in the song and he talks about, let this blessed assurance control 
that God has regarded my helpless estate and Christ has shed his own blood for my soul. He knew Christ loved him. He saw it in the cross. And when he gets to the end, he has Christ coming back with a great triumph, not to judge him, but to save him and to raise his daughters from the dead. So it is well with my soul. No song quite gets it in terms of its cadence and its tune and especially its words. It doesn't get any better than sorrowful yet always rejoicing through it is well, it is well with my soul. suffering and sin comes knocking on your front door, what you and I need is a guarantee that it's going to be okay. A guarantee that enables us to say, it is well with my soul. In these moments, the only way you will be able to say that, the only way that you will be able to say, it is well with with my soul, is if you have the guarantee that God has signed your salvation plan and that he has sealed you with the promise of the Holy Spirit and that he will deliver you completely on the day that you run into heaven. Don't hear me wrong. Your life won't magically be better. You and I will struggle with the effects of sin as we suffer and as we cry out, to God. And sometimes you and I will wonder if it is in fact well with our souls. But in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our striving against sin, you can hold on to this guarantee with everything you've got. You can be provoked 
by verses 12 and 14 of our text where Paul says that God's signature on your plan of salvation, his sealed promise of your redemption, and your complete future deliverance will and should provoke you to what? To the praise of his glory. As we were worshiping today and as everyone clapped in between songs, and you guys know I struggle with that sometimes because I, I question whether we're clapping for the glory of our worship team or clapping to the glory of God. Um, I remembered where that clapping began. A little girl named Alexa. You guys remember her? Just her innocence. It's a young girl. She was so excited to worship through music that after every song, she would clap like crazy. Do you remember? And sometimes during the song, she would clap like crazy totally offbeat. <laughs> that picture is what came into my head as we worship today. With reckless, childlike abandon is how we are able to praise God in the midst of pain and suffering and striving against sin. Why? Because God has guaranteed us that his faithfulness is enough. You are guaranteed that God has signed the plan sealed you with a promise, and he will deliver you completely. You can look in the mirror today and you can say, I am guaranteed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time in the scriptures today, and thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. But I pray now as we close in communion and prayer and worship, God, that you would cause some to trust in you for the first time, cause others to be assured by the guarantee that you've given us in the gospel. Pray, God, that you would be glorified in our time together today. And as we leave, God, I pray that you would send us out into our community with that guarantee. And that you would help us to live to the praise of your glorious grace in our city. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to close in communion and worship and prayer. We're going to do a little bit differently because we've ran so late today. Um, this will be the last word you hear. Um, we won't have our MC come up and close things out. What I want to encourage you guys to do is, as these guys close us in a worship song, you're welcome to stay and to sing with us. You're also invited to come forward for any prayer needs you may have. Um, and you're also invited to come forward and participate in communion. And we'd love to serve you that way. There will be two of us here to serve you. Um, you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion, but this is a meal for believers, people who have trusted in the shed blood and the broken body of Christ. That moment could have happened for you during the preaching of this sermon where you were confronted with your sin and you saw the hopelessness of the way that you've been living and you came to a point where you trusted in Jesus' shed blood, broken body at the cross. And so if that's you, if you are a believer we would like to invite you to come and participate in this meal. If you're not a believer yet, we just don't want you to do something that, that doesn't mean anything to you. Um, we don't want to create people who do things simply for the reason because other people are doing it, right? Uh, and so then as soon as you're done with communion, if you'd like to exit and you need to get out of here, totally cool with that. And again, if you need somebody to pray with you, we're here, we're available for that. Um, so thanks for being with us today, guys. Um, We'll see you guys next week. Good? 
You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 